Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here at Canaan with you, with you fine folks this evening. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, be able to stand up here behind this sacred desk this evening. I was telling uh, Brother Alter and them a while ago, when I was a young man, I used to uh, drive for Gold Kiss. I drove a truck and delivered meat, and Covington was one of my routes. And little did I ever think, know that I would be preaching in Covington. Uh, one day, and I appreciate that opportunity. Appreciate Billy allowing me and asking me to come fill in for him this evening. And uh, of course, Christy is my niece. Uh, she's my favorite niece, so you be sure and tell her that I said that. But no, we've uh, we've always had a special place in our heart for Christy uh, for years and years, and all of our nieces. We love them all, and thank God for the family that we have. I thank God that I was raised by a godly mother and daddy that carried me to church. And that's what I want to preach on for just a little bit this evening, Lord be my helper. I was going to preach something else, but it just seemed like the Lord kept stirring my heart and turning my heart uh, toward this thought this afternoon. But I want to preach on what makes a church great. What makes a church great. And I am the pastor of the Open Door Baptist Church in Flower Branch, Georgia. And I've been there. Actually, they call me on the 31st of, uh, of August, the same time that y'all call Billy here. And I think he started maybe in October then. Uh, but we started about the same time. Before that, I pastored Zion Hill Baptist Church in Cleveland, Georgia. I followed my dad that had been there six years. And uh, I just thank God for the church. Bro, Charles, I'm glad that I was raised in church. I was one of those drug kids. I was drugged to uh, church all my life. My dad, when he surrendered to preach, uh, he thought he had to go to church all the time. So when I was growing up, I couldn't stay awake in school because they'd go out uh, and go to revival meetings in different places and uh, stay out all night. And then I'd sleep through school. So... Uh, that's probably what's wrong with me. I didn't get the, good, uh, the education that I should have got during that time. But no, I thank God for the church. And uh, I got saved in church. I was called to preach while I was going to church. I got my wife in church. I met her in church. And uh, I tell this a lot of times. I got saved when I was 17 years old. I was a church member. I'd made a profession back when I was probably eight, nine years old. I don't remember exactly how old I was. Uh, in an August meeting, uh, one morning at Timbridge Baptist Church, someone got, one of my cousins got to witnessing to me, and there was two other preachers uh, that got around me and started talking to me. And I was tenderhearted. I started weeping and crying, went down to the altar, and... Uh, this uh, lady that's related to us, Ethel Ross, she got down and prayed with me. And I tell people all the time, I cried. I mean, I remember, remember crying. And I got up and made a profession of faith. My dad carried me down uh, later and dunked me at Flat Shoals there at Gills with a little creek where they baptized a lot. And I went through my teenage years thinking and hoping that I was saved. I never had no real peace in my heart. But as a 17-year-old boy, somewhere in the summer of June, July, God, through the providence of God over on Washington Street in Gainesville, He got me into a place that uh, I was going to go to August meeting that week in August. And I got saved on Friday night. But 
I tell everybody on the first night of that meeting, I remember seeing my wife come. She she drove herself to church. She wasn't but 15 years old, but uh, you used to could do that. And uh, she drove herself to church, and I can re- still remember her getting out of the car, and she come with that walk that she has. She come across the parking lot. Now I was lost, mind you, but something told me that that girl was going to be my wife one day. Well, on Friday night. I stepped out from the second pew from the back, made my way down to an old-fashioned altar. The preacher had asked the question when he was given the invitation, Brother Preston Moore, he asked if there was anyone there that wasn't sure that they were saved. And I was pretty sure that I wasn't saved. I mean, honestly, if I'd just be honest with you, I knew that they never had been no change take place in my life. Uh, I was running with the wrong crowd, even though I was a preacher's son. I went to church on a regular basis, pretty much. Uh, but he gave that invitation, and I raised my hand that I wasn't sure. And Brother Alter, I believe, I stepped out in that second pew in Pond Fort Baptist Church, that little part of the old church, and I started down the aisle, and I honestly believe God did a work of grace in my heart, but somewhere between that seat and where I bowed in that altar. And I called on the name of the Lord and I asked Him to come in my heart. But I believe when I took that step of faith and I made my way down, I believe God did a work of grace in my heart. You say, well, it didn't happen to me like that. Well, uh, what happened to you didn't happen to me, but something a little bit different. But I believe the same God that saved you saved me. And when I stepped out and made my way down to an old-fashioned altar, God did a work of grace. It changed my heart. And I've not always done what I should ever since then, but I've had a peace in my heart that passes all understanding. I made peace that night. And and I'm just thankful. And I got my wife. And the next August, we got married on August the 4th. She was 16 years old. Her dad, her, her father had to sign for us. And we were afraid to say anything to him. You know, nowadays, you know, everybody goes through the procedure. We didn't go through that procedure, you know. We just got to talking about getting married. And we made plans to get married. And, uh, and then uh, her mother wasn't going to sign. Her daddy was a lost man. And L.J. told his wife, said, you might as well go on down there and sign for them kids to get married. L.J. had more discernment than a lot of Christians do today. That didn't go over very well, but I'm going to say L.J. had a a lot more discernment than a lot of Christians do today. He knew that his daughter had probably met the right man for her. And this, this... August the 4th, we'll be married 49 years. Amen. And I thank God to LJ just a few years later at the age of 62. He got gloriously born. He got saved in church. Imagine that. He got saved in church. Amen. We was having to sing. They used to have singings. You know, we're just country church. We're a little different than most, a lot of churches. You know, today we're independent Baptists. We know a little bit more than we did back then. And they used to just be have little enough uh, discernment to think that they could go and have a meeting. The man of God could get filled with the Holy Ghost and get full of the Word of God and get up and preach. Now we got to have everything right down to jot and tittle. Hey, but we used to have singings on on Saturday night sometimes. And I'm not promoting that, but uh, one man told me, I'm, I'm going to run a rabbit right here. One guy told us he used to sing in a quartet. And he said the most liquor he ever drank was when he used to sing in a gospel quartet. Imagine that. 
But anyway, that evening, LJ, he got ready, and when it got time to go to church, they said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go singing with y'all tonight. And so he come that night, set, stayed at the singing, went back home. Next morning, he got up, and he got ready again. They said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to church this morning. Well, the invitation was given, and LJ walked the aisle. He got down in the altar and he prayed. He didn't get satisfied that morning. He got up out of his seat, went back home. That evening, he got ready to come back to church. And they said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go back to church with you all this evening. And he come that night and he got saved by the grace of God. And LJ used to be a bootlegger. He was a gambler. But he never wobbled on axle again. That whole time, he lived for Jesus till his dying days. And he got saved in church. I got saved in church. And I love the church. And if you got anything bad to say about church, don't say it to me this evening. Even as bad as things are, I'm going to tell you, the church is the best place to be on a Wednesday evening Hey, that we can come and gather together with other believers and worship and sing these old songs of praise. And expect God to do something. I'm glad he's still in saving business this evening. And so I want to preach on what makes the church great. And I'm just going to take a thought and a text. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, the Bible says in verse uh, 17, said, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then if you have Bibles, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll read another passage of Scripture, and then I'll give you some thoughts, and then we'll go to the house this evening. Ephesians chapter 3. The Bible says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body partakers of the, His promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the, unto the principalities and powers in heaven Heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by, by the faith of Him. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be here at Canaan this afternoon. We thank you for the good singing that we've already heard. Lord, I pray now that you'd help us for just a little bit. Lord, you know uh, what we stand in need of this evening. Lord, this is one place we don't want to stand alone. We've said many times, Lord, we need your touch. We need your uh, anointing. We need that unction, Lord, it can come only from you. And I pray, sweet Holy Spirit, this evening that you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'll... Uh, calm our nerves, Lord, and just help us to say the right things this afternoon, Father. We love you, and if there's anyone here lost, God, I pray that this might be the night that they'll come uh, to trust you as their Savior. Lord, we love you, and we thank you again for the church. Have your way, and we'll be careful to praise you and give you the glory for all that you do and all that you accomplish. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' sake, amen. So what makes the church great this afternoon? I think, first of all, we'd have to all agree that the planner of the church is what makes it great. I'm glad that we serve a sovereign God, and I'm glad that He knows the beginning from the end. As uh, Dr. Seitler used to say back years ago, has it ever occurred to you that nothing never occurred to God? And I'm glad we've got a sovereign God this evening that He knows the beginning from the end and everything in between. And I believe that's what makes the, uh, the planner of the church is what makes it great. A sovereign God that looked down through the eons of time and knew what He was going to do in His plan for you and I uh, this afternoon. And uh, we see that uh, a lot of d different opinions about when the church started. A lot of people would say that it began with Jesus and the apostles there in the Gospels when uh, Jesus called the 12 disciples. And I believe that's a perfect picture of the church. Uh, Jesus being the pastor and those uh, apostles being the, the members and those other believers that had followed the Lord Jesus uh, during that time in His life. A lot of people would say that the church was started, started on the day of Pentecost when the coming of the Holy Spirit came. And I would say that that could be, but I believe that was the empowerment of the church. But I believe with all my heart, me and a preacher was talking one evening, one day about this, and he said that in the mind of God, the church has always been. I mean, it was started in the heart and the mind of God before the foundations of the world, and we've just lived to see it brought to pass, whether it started with Jesus and the apostles, or whether it began on the day of Pentecost, I don't know uh, for sure, but I just know that I'm a part of something that's big this afternoon, and I'm glad that the planner of the church, he's sovereign, he's in control of everything that's going on today and I'm glad to be a part of the church. Not only is he sovereign but he's omniscient. He's all knowing. He knows exactly what each and every one of us stands in need as we gather together and we assemble uh, together this afternoon. Not only that, He's omniscient and sovereign, but He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. I mean, this world, we've got some powerful bombs in this world, but I'm going to tell you, friend, this afternoon, there's nothing in anybody, nothing nor nobody that's as powerful as the God that we serve this evening and the church of the living God that He has called us to be a part of this afternoon. So we see the planner. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. Hey, I'm glad he's here this evening. I went to church one time and my cousin, uh, we was in Sunday school and she said, uh, the Spirit's with us this morning. And a lot of times people make the Spirit of God some mystical thing that, uh, that can't be known and, and it's just a thing or the presence of, uh, of the Spirit of God. Yet, uh, let me say, the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit is real. 
And when she said that, I thought to myself, I know he's here this, this morning because I brought him with me. I'm glad that when I got saved by the grace of God, I received the baptism of the Spirit. I was baptized into the body of Christ that makes up the church of the living God And this morning. And He's promised that He'd never leave us nor forsake us. And I'm glad that He's omnipresent as other churches meet all across this country and across this land uh, this afternoon. I'm glad that He can be in every one of those churches at one time. The planner is what makes the church great. Not only... He's omnipresent, but He's immutable this afternoon. Hey, men change. This nation has changed. It was founded upon the principles uh, of the Word of God. And men changed down through the years. Hey, the Democratic Party has changed from what they used to be. Hey, people in the South, a lot of people, most people used to be Democrats because of what they stood for. Hey, but can I say this afternoon? Hey, man changes and governments change. Hey, but we serve a God that will never change. The planner of the church is what makes it great. Then I think... Next, what makes the church great is the purchase of the church is what makes it great. The purchase of the church is purchased with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 said that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. I began to think about purchases that had made uh, made uh, businesses great and different things. And I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking about this great United States that we live in, that we call home. And even as bad as things are this, this evening, let me say, hey, the United States is still the best, best place in the world to be uh, this afternoon. We have the freedom that we can come and gather uh, here at Canaan Baptist Church and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about uh, the persecution that's going on around this world. Hey, but let me say, the purchase of the church is what makes it great. And I've got to thinking about this United States that we live in and how it came about and how God has provided for us and how he brought things to pass that we might enjoy this blessing that we have the purchase of the church and I, I got to looking at the uh, some of the things that made the United States great and I, I got to looking at that Louisiana purchase you, you learned about the Louisiana Purchase in school. And it was the acquisition by the United States of America of 828,800 square miles of France's claim to the territory of Louisiana in 1803. The U.S. paid 60 million francs, which would be uh, $11,250,000 plus the cancellation of the debts worth 18 million francs, $3,750,000 for a total sum of $15 million for the Louisiana Territory, which would be $219,020,000 and $347,975,000 for $1.57 in today's economy. But the Louisiana Purchase encompassed all or part of 15 current U.S. states and two Canadian provinces. The land purchased all of the present-day Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, parts of the Minnesota that were west of the Mississippi River, most of the North Dakota, nearly all of South Dakota, northeastern New Mexico, northern Texas, the portions of Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado, east of the Continental Divide. And Louisiana, west of the Mississippi River, including the city of New Orleans, parts of this area were still claimed by Spain at this time of the purchase. 
In addition, the purchase contained small portions of land that would eventually become part of the Canadian province of Alberta and Saskatchewan. The purchase, which doubled the size of the United States, comprises about 23% of the current U.S. territory. Napoleon Bonaparte, upon completion of the agreement, stated, This accession of territory affirms forever the power of the U.S., and I have given England a maritime rival who sooner or later will humble her pride. Can I say the purchase of the Louisiana Territory was one of the most impacting purchases ever made at that time. It helped to guarantee the greatness of the United States. Uh, The greatness of the U.S. has affected every country on earth. Hey, but I say that there was a purchase some 2,000 years ago, friend, hey, that has had and still has the greatest effect, hey, that has ever been. The price that was paid for mankind's salvation has made the greatest impact on this continent, continent and every continent that's ever been. Hey, Jesus' death and burial and resurrection forever changed and impacted this world will continue to impact this world until Jesus comes again. And I believe that we could be that generation that gets raptured out of here. And what a, what a, th- a great thing to be a part of the church of the living God. Hey, when Jesus comes back, if your sins are forgiven, He says, come up hither and we leave out of this place. Hey, Brother Charles, it'll be a wonderful time for the child of God to save and experience the uh, salvation of God. So it's the purchase of the church that makes it great. Then number three, let me say the power of the church is what makes it great. It takes power for a church to function the way that God meant it to function. Hey, I believe that power is still available today. Hey, the promise of that power is made in Acts chapter 1 and and, uh, verse 8 there. uh, When Jesus said uh, there, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Hey, I'm glad that that power is available to you and I this evening. Hey, that God won't give to one generation. I believe what He won't give to another generation. Hey, if we get to that point in place in our lives where we're willing and we want to have that power and that, access that power this afternoon, hey, I'm glad it's still available for you and I tonight. We see the first mention of that power is in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 21. The Bible says, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also." And that that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of him of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself 
to Him. So we see the promise of that power. I'm glad that He was given for a specific purpose. Hey, He was given that He might convict sinners. He might convert sinners that would come to Him. Hey, that He might comfort the saints. I'm glad. Hey, that we have something this world knows not of. Those of us that are saved. Hey, when hard times and pressures come on our lives and, and problems and tribulations come in our lives, I'm glad Hey, that there's the comfort of the Holy Ghost that nobody uh, that's never been saved understands and can know about we see the promise of the power we see the purpose of that power it's not just to come and have a good time at church but i'm glad hey that we can come and the spirit move and the bible says be not drunk on wine where's it says but be ye filled with the spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your hearts unto the lord Hey, the purpose of that spirit is not that we can come and swing from the chandeliers and have a good time and run the aisles. Hey, but let me say the purpose of that, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit is that we might be able to witness to lost sinners and tell them about Jesus. If you'll see and read the book of Acts, every time those Christians there uh, got filled with the Spirit, they went out and they spake the Word of God boldly. The reason we're not speaking boldly a lot of times in this day and hour that we're living in, hey, we're just not filled with the Spirit. Hey, because God wouldn't do something for those disciples that He wouldn't do for you and I this evening. So we see the promise of the Spirit. We see the purpose of the Spirit. And then we see the progressiveness of that power. I believe God will give us all the power that we need. Hey, God wants everyone here this evening to have that power. He wants preachers and deacons and preachers' wives and deacons' wives. I believe He wants every born-again child of God this afternoon. Hey, that's sitting here in Canaan Baptist Church and every other church across this country that's meeting on a Wednesday afternoon. He wants us to enjoy that power. He wants that power to progress in our life that we get to the point in place where we would glorify Him in everything that we do. The power of the church. Then we see... The purpose of the church. The purpose of the church. I believe the purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel. Again, uh, there in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world, earth. Hey, I'm glad that we've all got our Jerusalem. I believe Covington is Canaan's uh, Jerusalem here. I believe where I'm at, Flair Branch in uh, Spout Springs is our Jerusalem. And then we got our Samaria's and our Judea's. And then we support missions that goes out across the seas and uh, goes into foreign lands. They learn the languages that they don't know and they care the gospel that they might proclaim the gospel to lost men, boys, and girls in this land. The purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel. Also, the purpose of the church is to pray for one another. I'm afraid we don't pray for one another like we should a lot of times. We neglect our prayer life. We get so busy, we get so caught up in this world. Hey, if we're not careful, we'll get to the point in place. Hey, we we will not pray like we should. We'll put it on the back burner. Hey, we're so busy to get to work and about the things that we, uh, we want to do ourselves that we'll neglect our prayer life. Brother Samuel Allen used to say that he guarded his prayer life. 
even the man of God that he was in the times that uh, he, he spent traveling across this land uh, preaching the gospel, he was every day, uh, he would get up and he would find his place in a secret place and he would pray. And he told me on various occasions, he said, Brother Poole, I guard my prayer life. If there's ever been a time that you and I need to guard our prayer lives, I believe it's in this day and hour that we're living in. Paul mentioned over there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, he said, pray that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is in you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked man. Why did Paul say pray for this? He wanted them to pray that the word of God would go out. He also, he said, for all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. I'm glad that, that we read the accounts in the Bible where men prayed. Elijah prayed some 66, 66 words or something like that over there and fire fell from heaven. It licked up the sacrifice. He killed the prophets of Baal. They prayed, the church prayed for Peter over in, uh, when he was in jail there in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. You remember the story how Rhoda went to the uh, gate. They heard the knocking and she went to the gate and she uh, didn't open the door. She got so excited she ran back in and told them that uh, Peter was there. What did they say? They said, well, you're mad. Peter's in jail. That's about the extent of our prayer life. I think a lot of times we pray for things and yet we don't expect God to do anything. If they would have been expecting Peter uh, to have been at the gate, they'd have no doubt went running out there to greet him and to welcome him to the home where they were at. So we see the purpose of the church. We see the position of the church. And I'm talking about where God has positioned us as a local church. I believe we have a post wherever God's placed us to, to be representatives of the Lord. I believe that Canaan Baptist Church has got a, 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 a position here and a post on the side of Salem Road uh, here in Covenant, Georgia to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, people hear about Canaan Baptist Church. Hey, they ought to know that that's a place where the Word of God is preached. Hey, where Jesus is exalted, where sinners can come and be saved. I believe God puts us in the place where He desires for us to be. Hey, we need to represent the Lord Jesus Christ the best of our ability. Hey, we should be honest and hardworking citizens and loyal to the cause of Christ. I believe if you're a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, a deacon's wife, a preacher or a preacher's wife, a lay member, whatever our position is, we should realize we represent a great person first and second, a great church that's recognized in this world that we're living in. God has positioned us in the place that He's placed us to bring glory and honor to Himself. So what makes the church great? Not only the position, but I believe the people make the church great. Someone said, hey, if it wasn't for people, the ministry wouldn't be half bad. If it wasn't for the people, there wouldn't be no ministry. People are ministry. But the people make a church great. People that are saved and born again. Thank God for churches that has saved members in uh, that makes up the body of Christ and that church of the living God. I believe the reason a lot of churches have a lot of problems, they got a lot of uh, members that's not saved. 
It's sad, but a lot of times, you know, hey, there's people in the United States that's never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And there's a lot of people that's sitting on church pews, that so-called churches, hey, that's never heard a real clear presentation of the gospel. But people make a church great. People that are saved. People that are submitted to the will of God. People that want to glorify Jesus and bring honor to the church of the living God. People that are willing to sacrifice. You know, it's right to, to submit ourselves to the will of God and to the things of God and to the Word of God. Hey, but it's right for us to sacrifice from time to time. I believe a lot of times people give sacrificially of their self. It's because of the sacrificial giving of, of, of people like you. Hey, that the gospel can go out. Hey, that you can have programs that you're carrying on at the church here. Hey, you're reaching out into the community and telling men, women, boys, and girls about Jesus. It takes sacrifice a lot of times. If people could get a hold of that, they wouldn't have no problem tithing. They wouldn't have no problem giving offerings. They wouldn't have no problem supporting missions. I tell you what, you can't outgive God. And if you get to that point and place and you're saved, you're submitted, hey, it won't be no problem to sacrifice for the will of God. And then people that are willing to serve. We've always heard that probably 15% of every congregation does all the work that's carried on. And that's probably true. From what we've seen down through the times of places that we serve, uh, you know, even a small church, if you've just got a few handful of members, you can usually pretty much figure it's about 15% of people that's going to do everything. People won't even fulfill their time of cleaning church hardly. They'll forget it. Hey, it ought, to be a, it ought to be an honor to go and sweep the floors and vacuum the floors and clean the pews for the next Sunday's service and carry out the garbage to cut the yards and make the house of God look nice. So when people come, people that are willingly separated make a church great. You know, preachers don't, most preachers don't like to harp and preach on living right and acting right and dressing right. Hey, they like to preach on something, uh, go on to uh, some meat of the Word of God. But it's so many times that uh, we, our churches are so filled with carnality. Hey, the man of God has to spend most of his time uh, trying to root and ground people in this simple fact of separation. My Bible school teacher told us one time, he made this statement, said probably the doctrine of separation is one of the most neglected teachings in the Bible. Amen. Biblical teaching of separation. How Christians supposed to live? Hey, a lot of people got the attitude, well, I'm saved and that's all that matters. Hey, friend, that's not all that matters. God saved us for a purpose. He put us here to be light and salt. And the Bible says if salt has lost its savor, hey, it's not fit for anything but be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. People that are willingly separated. You know, I've seen a lot of people that separated because they was beat into the uh, into that uh, position of separation. They had to be stayed on top of all time. Hey, a real true child of God that's saved and born again. Hey, that loves Jesus, loves the church, and loves the uh, work of God. You don't have to beat them over the head to live right and to do right. Amen. You shouldn't have to. And I've seen a lot of them that was, and when the man of God was gone, they were gone. 
when they quit standing on them and quit, uh, quit standing behind them, hey, they quit and fell by the wayside. People make a church great. Hey, I love people. I've always had a heart for people. And, and you know, I know there's ways about me that people don't like, and there's other ways about people that, uh, that I don't like. But I'm going to tell you, hey, the Bible tells us to forbear with one another. Amen. Put up with our sorry ways. We've all got quirks and problems that, uh, that don't fit where we're at. And we just need to learn to love people. Amen. Have the love of God in our heart. People make a church great. And then it's the preaching that makes a church great. Right. Amen. Preaching that makes a church great. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse uh, verse 11, the Bible says, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Verse 12, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Hey, preaching makes the church great. I've always loved preaching. Hey, the harder it is, the better I like it. Somebody said, ain't the preaching that's hard. It's the practice of it that's hard a lot of times. I've always said under hard preaching, everybody, every one of my pastors nearly have always been hard, what people call hard preaching. And, and it's just preaching. It ain't hard preaching. The Bible says the ways of a transgressor is hard. If, you get in love, if you fall in love with Jesus, you start separating your life from the world and walking with Jesus on a regular basis, hey, you'll fall in love with preaching. I don't agree with all preaching that I hear. And you don't either probably, but hey, I like it. I like all kinds of preaching. I like preaching, I like preaching that a preacher get up here and he never raised his voice. I like to listen to those that's anointed of God and they speak forth the Word of God. They never, uh, they never lift their voice. And you can feel the power of God in the preaching of the Word and the proclaiming of the Scripture. I like, I, I'll just be honest with you, I like them hackers. I like to hear them hackers that's preaching and, and giving you something while they're hacking. I grew up on hacking. I wished I could hack a little. I ain't never been able to hack. The reason for preaching is that sinners might be saved. It's a blessing to hear a man of God get up and preach and the Holy Ghost power falls and sinners get under conviction and the invitation's given and they, uh, they come to an old-fashioned altar. I remember growing up uh, listening to some preachers. There was one old mountain preacher by the name of uh, Rance Kane. He, was, he, was, he lived up in Ellijay, Georgia. They said when he was first called to preach, he couldn't even read. He couldn't even read. And he'd get over there and the, the holler in the brain, and he'd go to pray, and the people got to complain. They got to call the law. And one night, the sheriff and the deputy went over there. They sent him over there to get him. And they got over there to shine the light in his face, and he never did even bat an eye. He just kept right on praying. The sheriff told the deputy, he said, get him. The deputy said, you get him. And they wouldn't bother him. But old Brother Ranch Kane, hey, I've seen him preach and the power of God fall. And he had uh, not much of an education, but he'd preach and he had the anointing, the unction on him. Hey, people would get saved by the, uh, by the hundreds in them mountains, churches. Amen. They'd have a revival. They'd come out of the hollers. They'd fill the houses up. Hey, they'd stand outside and smoke till 7.30 and then they'd start. And they go in and there's still people to get saved back then. He had the power of God on him. He had the anointing, the unction. 
Hey, he spent time with God. Amen. He knew God. The reason for preaching is that sinners might be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which believe it is the power of God. Right. Then the reason for preaching is that saints might be sound. 2 Peter 3, verse 18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, the Christian life is a growing life. And I'm glad that through the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, I'm glad that, uh, that we can grow in grace and we can learn uh, what God expects of us and He can bring us to the place of maturity uh, in our lives that we can make a difference in this world as we go through this walk of life. Amen. Preaching makes the church great. And then not only... Uh, that sinners might be saved and the saints might be sound, but the, that the Scriptures might be sacred. Hey, the Bible is our sole rule and authority for living and carrying on the work of God. Hey, we're not to preach and teach our opinions, although, hey, there will be opinions brought forth, but we're to preach, thus saith the Word of God. God has inspired this Bible and preserved it for His people. Hey, we should preach from it, live by it, uphold it to the world as sacred in this world. Hey, that has corrupted everything that it touches. They've even corrupted the Word of God. You know, I was probably 14 or 15 years old before I ever knew that there was another version of the Bible. And someone had come to Pond Fork when my dad was pastoring down there and they left a Bible on the bench and I believe that it was the living Bible. And there was no question what a man was going to use when he got up to preach or the places that we went. I mean, you didn't, you didn't have to worry about somebody bringing in another version of the Bible. Hey, but you better ask them now what they're going to be preaching out of. If you don't know them real well, and the best thing to do if you don't know them real well, leave them alone. Hey, it's got a point in place. You've got to ask them how many wives they have before you put them up to preach. The preaching makes the church great. Not only the reason for preaching, but the results of preaching this afternoon is that people have joy. Hey, come to the house of God, you ought to have a little joy in your heart after you hear a, a good Bible preaching message. Yeah. That ought to bring joy to someone and that people will be saved. You know, we ought to be seeing people saved on a regular basis. It's sad that we're not seeing them saved no more uh, like we used to. Hey, you used to have a, uh, a revival meeting and it wasn't unheard of to have 12 or 13 people to baptize. I think we got pictures when my wife was uh, baptized. I believe in that little old pond down there at Willie D. Pinton. Uh, they was 13, I believe, in that pond. Brother Mark Wheeler's granddaddy, uh, Brother Wheeler, he used to, I was up at Wahoo preaching revival one time, and he'd always come up, he said, Brother Poole, he said, you know what the most people i ever seen in that little baptismal pool around there at the back is? And I knew, but I'd say, no, how many, Brother Wheeler? He said, they were 50. We had 50 in that pool at one time. Amen. They'd have revival. People would get saved. Hey, we're not seeing that much no more. I wonder why. we got more means. we got more uh, material to give people than we ever have. Hey, but we see less people saved than we ever have down through the times. Used to not be unusual to see people walk the aisle. But I'm glad this evening that the power is still available. 
Hey, the purpose is still the same. The power of the church is still real this evening. And God wants to use us, and He wants to use our churches. And I believe He still will if we'll just get to that point in play. Hey, the reason we're not seeing real revival, I don't believe we really want revival. I believe we could have revival just as much now as they could back 50 years ago. If we get to the point in place in our lives where we was willing to yield ourselves to Him and desire to see God move, what makes the church great? I love the church this evening, don't you? No place I'd rather be on a Wednesday afternoon than drive down here to Covenant and be in Canaan Baptist Church in an old-fashioned Bible-believing church. And thank you for the opportunity to preach. And I know it's probably been scattered. I've rushed through that. I've got an hour and a half message here that I preached in just a little bit. I've run fast. Hey, but I appreciate the opportunity. appreciate your good attention. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the privilege to be here this afternoon. We thank you for the power of the Word of God that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for a perfect book. Lord, I'm glad this book is perfect and you've preserved it for us as your people that we can gather together on a Wednesday evening and uh, preach from it, Lord, and teach from it. And God, I just pray that you'd take it and lodge it in the hearts of men and women this afternoon, Lord. And we thank you again for letting us be a part of the church. Thank you for loving us and giving you life for us. Have your way now as we go our separate ways. We love you in Jesus' name and Jesus' sake. Amen.